0: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been
1: exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by
2: 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits Manhasset, New York, 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly.
0: Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Summer is just around the corner; you can feel it in the air. That means we are getting outside, we're meeting up with friends, and we're probably going to have a drink or two. And so we thought, who better to talk to than legendary bartender Aaron Polsky, who's also the founder and CEO of Livewire, curated highly quaffable canned cocktails. We talked to him about his time in New York, starting under Sasha Petrosky, and how his road to starting his own business took him right up to the start of COVID in March 2020. Then we dig deep into the archives for a dreamy 1950s pop performance from the Rizzos. Grab a sweetheart and a drink. It's going to be a great episode here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
3: We talk about food, we talk about music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tune.
0: Good to see you. Thank you for making time to sit down with us for Snacky Tunes. I feel like I ran into you at the 101 event back in December, and I've seen you nonstop ever since.
1: I've been following you around.
0: <laughs> um, we crossed paths back in the mid-aughts when you were behind the bar of some legendary cocktail spots because you had gotten to the cocktail scene studying under Sasha and what was it like being a part of that renaissance of the cocktail era and being at the epicenter in New York?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny—you don't really know that you're at the at the epicenter uh, at the time sure. until you look back. Um, but um, it was it it was really exciting. It was a really small community. Um, there weren't that many bars uh, doing what we were doing back then. Uh, I mean, it was literally probably like 20 tops, um, in, in New York, but yeah, it was, um, it was exciting. I mean, it's a totally different style of bartending and everybody was still sort of figuring out what they were doing and figuring out how to transition from craft to volume.
4: Um,
1: and the, the one that I worked at, uh, the the bar that I initially was behind was White Star. I was hosting at Milk and Honey, and Sasha opened a bar um, a couple blocks away on Essex called White Star. And it was honestly pretty frustrating for me when I, I was like <laughs> a first, it was the first place that I had bartended. And like, you know, I saw my friends at PDT and Death and Co. and Milk and Honey, like all having the luxury of a seating only policy mm. right and white star was a bar with that yeah. level of drink right so it's like it would be like those bars those other bars never got one deep two deep four deep any deep right <laughs> because it was yeah, like the only depth to
0: uh, death and co was the line outside
1: right right um whereas like white star it would just like get like three deep right away and i had been bartending for like a month <laughs> And so it was like very stressful to be putting out, you know, because we focused on such quality and consistency sure. um, and like style of service um, that it was – and and the systems that we were taught in the sort of milk and honey school were intended to help you make cocktails efficiently. But like – Without the mental um, muscle memory of just dealing with guests and like figuring out how to prioritize guests by like the order they came in at and how they ordered and like the multitasking, the sort of like octopus thing. Yeah. Without that, it was like pretty paralyzing. But it was um, like looking back at it, it was incredible. And like the bars that I worked at subsequently sort of rounded out my skill set. So that I could do that, right? Like after that, I worked at a couple of spots, but eventually went to um, the standard, right? The the boom boom room on top of the standard. And like there were reasonably complex cocktails there. Um, but like I've never been in the weeds since working at that place because it was like so insane Yeah. <laughs> that then I like came out of it. And sorry, go ahead.
0: No, 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 no. I mean, it, you know, I feel like you sort of fell into the mixology world, while some other people sort of sought it out. And so maybe you had a different perspective of being like, this is great to learn, but I maybe have a different approach of how I want to serve people. And it's not just uh, from the same, like, everything needs to be this, I don't want to say formulaic, but like, finding the balance between getting the drinks out, having a good time versus uh, like a really great drink.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was always super interested in the world of cocktails. Um, <clears throat> I basically like I was 18. I was working at Bouchon Bakery. The chef there uh James McDuffie, who, um, is now in charge of, well, last I spoke to him, he was in charge of like Fedora and all of those, um, Gabe Stuhlman's thoughts. Um, he was like, there's this bar with a phone booth that you go through. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what? (laughs) (laughs) And I went to PDT for the first time. Um, so I was always super into it. And then Sasha opened a coffee shop called the Mercury Dime, which was two blocks from my apartment. And so I was going there for coffee pretty regularly and, uh one of the hostesses or one of the baristas, or Nicole was a hostess of milk and honey and she was like, Hey, I need my shift covered. I already cleared you with Sasha. And I was like, <laughs> What? <laughs> and I just like covered a hosting shift. Um, but it was always something that I was super interested in. So um I like did kind of fall into it, but it was like something I very much wanted to do, you yeah. know. And like yeah. just as my career moved along, I it became clear that it was the right path for me. But um what you were saying about like finding that balance, you know, I think that what Sasha was doing with the cocktail style that, that he sort of pioneered, right. It was very much the baseline off of which everything we know now is built. Yeah. Um, And I equate it to, I equate making those drinks and making a career out of making those drinks the same as being like, a violinist at the Ooh. New York Philharmonic, right? You're playing the music of dead people, right? Like like all of the cocktails that we made were basically like cocktails from the 30s or cocktails from sure. the 1860s and with variations thereof, but it was very much this very old style. And it's how perfect and beautiful can you make it, right? right. like what, What's was... your sour,
0: what's your julep, what's your martini, what's your Sazerac? Right,
1: right. and it really focuses on like the last 1% of the process, Mm. right? Like we can all put the ingredients together. We can all put them over ice and stir them. But then it's like, how cold is your ice? Did you crack it? Right. Did you stir it for, you know, the amount of time people talk about like the right amount of time to stir a drink. And I kind of think that that's bullshit. Like (laughs) there's so many variables in it that it's almost more akin to, you know, how like in the morning, a barista will um, pull a bunch of shots and Mm -hmm. adjust the grind. the the fineness of the grind, like mm-hmm. at the coffee shop, based on like how hot it is outside yeah. and how humid it is, and just what it's doing that day. That's more like if you're getting into that minutia of drink making. That's what I where I think it's at. And I, if you're like, oh, I need to stir the seventeen times, you're like missing the mark. But anyway, that's that <laughs> style. Um, you're like, you're I, like, but yeah,
0: I think you shook it, pour it in the glass, <laughs> slide it over the bar. Um yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I know music has always been a big a part of who you are and even hearing that, you know, analogy of a violin um, is pretty core to your personality. I think everyone knows about your love for rock and roll. How did you incorporate that into your bartending? Um, Because when I think about Death & Co. and I think about those places, I think of like jazz and like a little bit more of a different type of of music and and ethos um, that you were bringing to the cocktail scene at that time.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, this is like one of those you connect the dots backwards things, but when I worked at <clears throat> Amoria Margo, um, it was on my nights a one person shift, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a little like iPod doc <laughs> Bose speaker behind the bar, and that was like the only place the music came out of. And we could just choose whatever we wanted to play. Um, and I started doing like full album Mondays and live album Tuesdays. Right, and I just played like the music I wanted to play, and when it was empty, like when we opened, I would like blast it so that people would hopefully come in off the street, sure. but you know, I just think that that like rock and roll vibe makes it fun, um and you know whenever you're stuck for a drink name, song names are always really good, yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, or at least a jumping off point, then it's like stairway to highball, sure. Yeah, I don't think That's, anybody's done that. It's a free one, man. Right that. Is that, that a down.
1: Darren Bresnett's original? All yeah, right, cool. yeah, put oh, me well.
0: put me put me on the roster.
1: <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um Yeah, so it's people connect to it and um you know when I when I bartend and like a song, and let's say it's like I haven't found my groove yet, or it's like kind of getting crazy and i'm like not really clicking if a song that i really love comes on Mm. especially if i like had nothing to do with it it like clicks you know you sort of like people talk about you know finding your flow with like when uh it's usually with like any skill right you like getting into the flow is when your um active mind shuts off Mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. sort of like the muscle memory clicks and you just do what you're good at. Um, and that really helps, uh, you know, and it's like, usually like if night train by guns and roses comes on, I'm in.
2: Sure. Yeah. Finally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think it affects your mental state. I think it affects guests mental state and you know, you can, you can even go deeper. There are those studies that show that like the music that you're listening to while you're eating certain foods changes the way the food tastes. Mm, right. And so, yeah. Um, I think there's lots of ways to go, but at the end of the day, rock and roll is fun. Rock and roll is like a lifestyle, um, and sort of just something that's always been, uh, a part of who I am and, you know, everything that I do, I just like try to imbue it a bit.
0: Mm. I mean, that's great. Um, it's always fun finding those juxtapositions in, food and then music of just being like, oh, okay, here's a great high-end cocktail, but sort of in a dive bar with like a rock and roll sound. I've always loved love that that uh, two worlds coming together. I've been drawn to that and I think part of why I've been drawn to that is that after, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven, eight years of the the mixology scene in New York, people started to be like, there's got to be a different way to get a good drink or different things like that. And I felt like that shift was not just out of the city, but to the other coast. And I I know that you got drawn out to LA, like a lot of us who worked in food and media and things like that. Um, Did you have a similar feeling or or what brought you out to LA? You know, what made you feel that your time in New York had sort of reached its end?
1: Yeah. um, So I basically, one of my friends, uh, my friend, Michael Neff, he was working on a project out here um, and he had teased it to me for like a couple of years while I was in New York. And he was like, Hey man, if you ever want a job in LA? Like you got one. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. Um, and um, I was working for a pretty shitty place. Uh, my last place in New York. Mm. Um, uh, and That's usually how
0: it goes. It's everyone's like, did I break up? Or did I have a bad job? Or did I lose my apartment and I don't want to move out to another borough?
1: L.A.? (laughs) Question mark? I guess. I mean, I basically, so like, you know, I've never been one for uh, authority, but also I feel like I'm right a lot. So anyway, (laughs) so I got fired. Uh,
0: Can we we check that? Do you have a reference who would uh, sign off on that opinion as well? Nope.
1: I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> um so yeah, I got I got fired from this job for the third time um mm. in eight months, which was like very dysfunctional, right? Where like you get you get canned and then the boss is like, Hey, I need you on Friday night, right? Oh like, my god. That? And I kinda I mean, went straight. That sounds those. like a
0: classic New York relationship if I've ever heard one.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. On and off on on and off again job. Um, but anyway, so like I got fired. I was like, Great. Um it was actually pretty funny uh, without getting like spending too much time on it. I The place had a patio like in the back. And so it was May and, you know, New York, right? If there's a patio, that place is like bombed immediately. The second it's warm.
0: The second even it's warm. Hint to warm. People are like, let's go. I just left work.
1: Yeah, I don't care what they serve. I, I don't, don't care. What it is. Let's. I need to sit outside. Oh, cool! Shots something. and beers,
0: great. A dirty, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> slushy machine that's got some booze in it.
1: I'll Sign be there. Me. Yeah, uh, I'm on yeah. the six.
0: I'll be right there.
1: <laughs> so anyway, so I um, I basically s- started my shift. It was like a Sunday afternoon. The place had just opened, and it like within five minutes fully filled up. And before service, I had sent a justified but snarky text to my boss. And so I'm like in there, got a full board of tickets, the place just opened, (laughs) full board of tickets and and people at every single table. And the guy across the street who like owned the liquor license, like whatever, sketchy stuff. But he's like, (laughs) he goes in there and he's like, hey, uh. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the owner just told me to tell you you're fired. You gotta go. And I was like... And I just looked down at the board, and I look at all the tickets, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I just there you walked go. out. There <laughs> you like, go. I don't know how long it took for those people to get drinks, but... So, you um, left
0: the bar, went to JFK, got on the plane, on landed at LAX. I've heard it. Tale as old as time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so... Yeah, then I, I had watched uh, the Sonic Highways episode, that Foo Fighters show sure. uh, on L.A., and I was like, you know, after like a week or two, I like call up, and I was like, this place looks cool. I had only been here once before, uh, in 2011, for a couple of days. And, um, yeah, I called up Mike Neff, and he told me about the gig, and I was like, it was Clifton, Clifton's, Clifton's cafeteria. Uh, Shout out, was, great like,
0: martinis, by the way, R.I.P.,
1: RIP. Um, yeah, it was like going to be a five level, multi concept nightlife spot, uh, and so I was going to run the bar in the basement called Shadowbox, and it was supposed to be like this very immersive, futuristic, whatever spot. And so I moved out here to do it in 2015, and, and that's what got me out there.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, like let's take a quick break. Uh, I want to get into a little bit of time in your LA, and then you're switching from being behind the bar to being behind the business of Livewire. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org. Well,
5: did you ever want to be born out on the sea boy? all of your Did you ever have What do you wanna know? Sanford.
0: Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Aaron Polsky, founder, CEO of Livewire. So you're in LA and you're working on different bars and projects and things like that. And, and you know, it's one thing to like make a bar program run a successful bar. It's quite another thing to put them into a can and try and sell them as a product. When did you start... Thinking about a shift of how you were going to run, I don't know, your life, your business, who you are from being behind the bar to to making a uh, a brand out of cocktails.
1: Yeah. So the initial idea was like 2012. I actually started oh, wow. thinking about this. canned um, cocktails during that time were gross. Not a thing in the US. I not, mean, not a
0: thing. Uh, well, I
1: mean, the ones in Europe were like, you ever get a bottled spritz? Not great. I have recently the the new Aperol spitzes. I I think they're all right, but um I didn't not, have not twenty
0: twelve, I'll tell you that much.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um yeah, I mean a lot of companies really raised the bar on it. I maybe we're good pun. maybe maybe Aperol was like okay. <laughs> maybe Aperall was like, hey, the slide bar is pretty good. We gotta step up the game. Um, <laughs> Sitting so. on the Riviera being like
0: Uh oh, they're coming for <laughs> yeah. us.
1: They're step coming up the spritz game. So it's 2012. This, Jew from, this Jew from LA is coming for us. Oh um, man!
0: R- wrong decade for that Italian discussion. Anyway, <laughs> um, so it's 2012.
1: Yeah, 2012. I just started getting some press um, for bartending. Um, Talia biochi I think, was actually the first person mm. to to write up um, to write me up in this little eater article. But then, like got some stuff in serious Heats and i was like pretty stoked like riding high and i was like this is really cool and i was like but it kind of doesn't make sense these are national publications and like people in other cities can't drink the these drinks that Mm. people are writing about right so um and i had majored in music business uh at nyu and you know to me like scaling intellectual property was sort of something i had studied and and Mm. learned about and whatever and I was like, you know, the consumers can't drink the drinks.
4: Mm-hmm. And the
1: bartenders can't monetize their press. And, like, the press loves the bartenders. Mm. But, like, it's sort of – it doesn't benefit anybody except for really the bar owner. And, like, sure, to some extent, you know, you get the press. That leads to better jobs. That leads to some awards. That Maybe leads, you get like, a brand ambassador get, deal. Right. Or, like, one-off gigs with a big brand. But, like – none of it really builds long-term equity so um, I started working on it then uh, and pitched it to a couple of liquor companies who just like could not wrap their heads around it you know they were like this is cool these taste great but like too early you know, too I mean to early. your
0: to your point it's just like I don't understand what you mean we're gonna put a drink with booze in it. I mean, 2012? Well, I guess you'd already had like sparks. I mean, you'd had malted beverage.
1: So there's an important distinction to draw here is our cocktails were spirit-based and still are. And what most people don't know is that the state tax rates in most states on spirit versus uh, beer is about 20 times higher per ounce. Mm. So like... This is a uh, 7.5 ABV can of a gin cocktail, right? But it's a 12-ounce can, 7.5 ABV. We pay about – call it 50 cents a can in taxes on it, in state taxes, Um, maybe 30 cents. A beer would be about a penny for a 7.5 ABV Wow. And that adds up. Same amount of alcohol. That adds up. It really adds up, right? So when I'm pitching – um, these huge liquor conglomerates who are used to their margins, right? They're like, I can't make this work given these taxes. That's like primarily the thing. But can't so, can't you charge more for a spirit
0: based can than a beer case bit? Ba- beer based can.
1: Yes, but like at the time and even now, I mean ours sit at the top of the market. Sure. Um, and there are uh, inherent challenges in, inherent challenges to that. But <clears throat> right. Yeah. I mean, all RTDs cost more than, than beers, right? You go mm. to Ralph's and you get like a premium microbrew beer or whatever, and you're not paying more than two bucks a can on it. Right. These you're paying at least four, but like for live most of our retail sell retailers sell them between five and $8 a can. So oh, that's a big, yeah, you definitely that's a can. Yeah. And you definitely can charge more. Right. But it's like, we're talking about 2012, 2014, 2015 when right. I'm pitching and like people are like, what? What are you doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you're sitting so, on this idea. You're in LA. What finally starts to put it in motion for real?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was like gearing up to leave Harvard and Stone uh, in July of 2019 um, and I left and I basically decided like I will finally make this a reality, mm. right? I will finally make this Canned cocktail company that I had a reality, so <clears throat> I left. I raised uh, forty seven thousand dollars, which was enough of, uh, essentially to form the company and do the first run of cans, mm. which was like eight thousand cans of Heartbreaker, um, and those came off the production line on March third of twenty twenty.
0: What a what a date
1: for things what to come a off. D- <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. What a real treat. I was still optimistic at the time. I was like, oh, yeah, this COVID thing, whatever. Well, but it wasn't. Well, a big you deal. would think that people are at home. They can't
0: go to a bar. They want a cocktail. And after maybe like two, three weeks of making your own cocktail at home, you're like, I need something else. But was that not the case?
1: Well, people wanted the familiar, right? People wanted a handle of Tito's or like a bottle of you know Jameson beer Jameson you know it's like they wanted stuff that they knew or stuff that they could you know that wasn't too far of a jump for them um because could you
0: describe the flavors and like the type of cocktails you make that go into the cans
1: So what we do uh, is we partner with award-winning bartenders to put their cocktails into cans, Mm -hmm. right? So we make signature cocktails. We don't do any, we're not trying to capture the market of generic cocktails. So we're not making just straight up margaritas or Moscow mules or whatever. So the cocktail that I told you about the heartbreaker is mine. uh, And it is essentially, it's like a mule with grapefruit, kumquat and jasmine. Mm. So um, vodka based, Uh, but all those things vodka oro blanco grapefruit marumi kumquats ginger and jasmine um joey bernardo's cocktail uh joey is um is over at broken shaker uh la um he's got the honeydew collins it's gin coconut honeydew lime leaf and elderflower so like that's sort of the kind of thing that we're doing um even like our old-fashioned my friend chris patino uh who owns raised by wolves in san diego has an old-fashioned with us and it's uh Rye whiskey, apple brandy, um, and cherry bark vanilla bitters. So, like, mm-hmm. everything has its own sort sure. of unique um, angle. Uh, because really what we're doing is, like, we're bottling the bartender, right? We're, like, mm-hmm. really that is the fan base that we're promoting and trying to build. Um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> so not exactly when
0: people are looking for the comfort and the familiar in the back half of March in 2020 or even April or June, people are, like, just give me give me volume of what I know.
1: Right. I mean, it's like not even the brand that they knew, right? We were brand new. Like, we got good press, but that still didn't change, like... I feel like there were was some the, other like, stories
0: during that time that may have been trumping your own press. I can't think of anything that was going on, Mark. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So what did you do? Because, you know, uh, it's so interesting because had you come out maybe in like 2021 and the story was like i was a bartender but i pivoted because of covid like this is the story this is the journey and people were like oh it's like a year into the pandemic like this is exactly what i need right now that is a different proposition than right a week literally the week before everything shut down
1: yeah um you know i basically so March 3rd, we made the cans. March 5th, I went to the market and, like, just knocked down the wins, man. Like, seven accounts were like, yes, we want it. There was a, a freight delay getting our product to the distribution warehouse. And by that point, it was, like, March 22nd. And, like, all of those stores that said, yes, we want it, were like, pump the brakes. Like, we got to figure out our shit. Like, give me some time. They eventually all picked us up. Um, but I, I just hit it hard. Like, I went... I, I went to around to stores and tried to pitch them on stuff. It was really hard to get meetings, a lot of like not in person, you know. Yeah. Um I went down to San Diego, uh, got a, a handful of account placements there. Um, and like I had friends pick it up. Um, you know, and you you really know who your friends are when you uh when you start a brand.
0: A hundred percent. Um it's like everyone's down for a six pack everyone's down for a couple of cans and then it's like i need your shelf space i need your time i need your money i need your support and these are the people who probably listened to you from 2012 to 2019 about yeah. being like yeah aaron we know canned cocktails yeah they're coming bud okay we we got you <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, but you know, some people like really did come through, um, um, Mike Capaferri at Thunder, at Thunderbolt was one of our first accounts. Joe oh, yeah. Keeper at Barkeeper. k picked this up right away. Um, the boys at Estretto picked this up like right away, like reached out to me on that one. They're like, this that's is cool. awesome. We want to carry it. Um, and, um, yeah, like that's sort of where it started and it was, I was constantly hitting people up. Liquor Fountain picked this up. Um, and yeah, it was like constantly just trying to sell. Like sell, 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 sell you know? Um, and it's, uh, it's pretty intense. But we ended the year with about 100, 120 accounts in SoCal. And then that was like a good base to start off 2020, 2021. So...
0: The model is sort of like a record label, right? Where exactly. the yeah. artists get or the bartenders, artists, bartenders, get a royalty on the cans. How does the business work? Why was that important to you instead of just paying them for their IP up front and owning the masters, if you will?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to I wanted their success to grow with our success. Mm. Right. Um, And we're actually looking at even changing the model we're doing now um, to give them more equity in the long-term success of the company rather than the per unit sales. Um, But, you know, to me, it was like, if we make a drink and it only sells 10 cases, Mm -hmm. then like, that's what you make. But if it sells a hundred thousand cases and you make something commensurate to that.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I mean, it was important before, I think going back to your point about being like, I'm a bartender, I make money when I'm on my shift. If I'm not on my shift, I don't make money. Like the idea of working in service and having any sort of passive income was almost, it's still in many ways a novel idea. Um, but even more so during the pandemic, being able to support the community by saying like, hey, like your shifts are down or like the bar that you ran doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, or the place where you have debt piling up because you have rent and things like that. Um It's pretty amazing to see that as a business model for an industry that didn't even, I mean, forget canned cocktails, didn't have a way to support, which we saw really as like a huge issue at the start of March of 2020. Um, How has the response been to that part of it? Like, do you have uh, more people coming to you for um, being a part of this or is there a waiting list or like, you know, you're like – you know, how do you, how do you select who's coming next? Cause I'm sure people are like, Oh, I too want the prestige of having my own canned cocktail.
1: Right. I mean, there's a bit of an informal waiting list. We had, um, I had a lot of friends in the beginning who agreed to be a part and I am still working on getting their <laughs> drinks out. So we're just not, we haven't cleared the list as it were, mm. but we, um, you know as as the company grows and develops um you know the thing about releasing a lot of different skus is that it's pretty cash intensive yeah um, i learned that from shark tank less skus is better yeah so um it's been it's a challenge for sure right so we're not we're trying to like manage what we have on hand currently um and and get a healthy cash flow mm, mm. so
0: how do you grow? Because obviously you – and I never really thought about the idea of scaling IP, which is obviously in music like easy because like, hey, here's the song. You can listen to this anywhere. Um, but, you know, shelf space, CPG, things like that. Like what have you learned? What would you offer to people who are thinking about getting into this business? Um, you know mm, – like how do you go from southern california to like a much more national or national scale
1: yeah i mean it's really a game of um simultaneous efforts that you hope all line up together and mm. what i mean by that is like let's say i pitched um hyatt hotels yeah and they're like this is great we want this everywhere
0: every mini bar well, everything is stocked with this
1: in every state right mm. and then you basically need to scramble to get distribution in every Mm. state. Because for the most part, there are some companies that have multi-state properties, right? So like Southern Wine and Spirits covers almost every state. Um, Breakthrough covers a good deal of them. Uh, RNDC covers a good deal of them. Um, But like if Hyatt wants you, they want you. Ideally, is and you want to capitalize on the opportunity ASAP. So then you have to convince a distributor hey, bring us on. This is worth your time and this is worth the money up front that you're going to pay for the product. Right. Because you got to scale up the
0: cans, you got to scale up the the product in the cans, you got to get everything
1: going. That part's not that terribly difficult right oh. like well there we, we go. for us anyway for right so um we designed our product so that we could essentially change the quantity uh we could scale the quantity up basically overnight um it's a very scalable formula hmm. so that's not super difficult but what is difficult is like again getting the distributor to move fast and then also like get those deals so that's really the way to scale right um at the end of the day the person who's buying for hyatt is a person right same as the person who's buying for pink elephant on the corner here right like mm. it's a person and you need to convince that person hey you will be served well by carrying this yeah so right it's like i i, I listen to this podcast speaking of shark tank there's this uh, coffee company, like this iced can something coffee, super coffee, something like that. Sure. And like, you know, the the owner or founder of the company said something along the lines of like, it takes given it's a little chewy, but he was like, it takes the same amount of effort for a lion to hunt a mouse as it does a fucking antelope. But the the mouse, you know, if he only sure, eats mice, sure, sure, he'll sure, die, sure, sure, right? Sure. And so I was like, that's pretty smart. Um, so I basically started attacking the chains more mm. um, and trying – because it's like you can scale up your your sales that way with the same amount of effort. Right. You're me.
0: like, cool. Like I, I, I still got to call the person, wherever that person is, to either stock me in a bar or I call the person who runs all of the West Coast operations for Hyatt.
1: Right. Got right. It. And both both are valuable, right? Like of you course. you want people to drink it in bars. Because people are um, much less price sensitive at a bar than they are at um, a store hmm. typically right like you're in the bar and you you're at a bar because you're ready to part ways with your ten plus dollars for a drink yeah you know and like right you're I showed up a good time. I'm here to have a good time.
0: That time includes me opening my wallet and saying goodbye. Right.
1: Right. Whereas at a store, like, the possibilities are endless and it's, you know, you could walk out with nothing. Mm. I do that all the time. I, <laughs> I go to liquor stores and just look and leave just because hmm. it's, like, interesting to me. Um, but, like, you can't do that at a bar. You're a sociopath if you go into a bar and just look around and leave.
0: Hmm. Is that hmm, Is that absolute? That's nice. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for answering my <laughs>
1: question. That's it. Thank
0: you. Um, yeah, I mean <sighs> – not to bring it uh, completely full circle, but, you know, you started out making these high-end cocktails with Sasha and in this like crazy time of like where everything is like made a la minute to the moment, things like that. And you've taken that foundation and you've put it into a can. Do those, I mean, the through line makes sense, but how do you think younger you would would look at, at you now <laughs> about being like, wow, you're, Are you not slapping basil five times in front of the customer to release the essence? You're just cracking a can.
1: It's funny. Um, So. uh, Sasha like gave me a couple of like. Awakenings. Slash like come to Jesus moments when gave younger me a lot of those moments, right? Um. You know, to him, it's real, (laughs) as with any religion, it's always the disciples that fuck up the message, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, (laughs) Sasha cared about giving people something that tasted good in in a short period of time. And, like, I can show you his, like, service manual if you've never seen it, but, like, it was about service. It was about really good service and creating a really good experience. It wasn't about, like being masturbatory to the guests or to anyone. Like he'd never talked to the press, like to anyone about how much you put into your product, how much effort you put into your mojito. He taught us how to make it so that it would taste really good, but he never bragged about it. Right. So younger me misinterpreting this message would have been like, yeah, if I can 2020 Polsky's a sellout, like that's gross. <laughs> like, yeah, but how could it, how could fresh juice ever taste good in the can? Um, I would like to think that Sasha would have liked this, right? Where he would have been like, he, you know, this is a really good cocktail that people can take anywhere because like, you can't really do that with fresh juice drinks. But by the same token, he might've been like, this is fucking bullshit. I can't believe, I can't believe I know you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Aaron, congratulations. If people want to, Find out more about Livewire, the drinks, the bartenders, or where they can get it. Where can they go?
1: Uh, yeah, give us a follow on uh, Drink Livewire on Instagram. Um, I also have a woefully bad TikTok that I'm uh, trying to do stuff on. Also, Drink Livewire, and just go to drinklivewire.com to order our drinks online and learn more about them. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Good to see you. I'm sure I'll see you in person very
0: soon once I'm again. outside your window. You're outside my window right now. Yeah, that was oh well, yeah. Good to see you. Hair looks good in the against the backdrop of the uh, Altadena Mountains. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
2: I'm Chava Perivan, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operated distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from Sustainability Managed Forests. 81A is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit Drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink
0: responsibly. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have the Rizzo's live in studio. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Would you like to go around the room and introduce yourselves?
6: Sure, I'm Megan.
0: I'm Justin.
6: And I'm Bettina.
0: Leaning on the drums.
6: Leaning on the drums to get closer to the microphone. As
0: drummers <laughs> do. The Rizzos are one of the hardest working bands in New York City. Verified. Verified. <laughs> what sets you apart from the other nineteen or so hardest working bands? Ooh. We're the prettiest. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if that's. I'm gonna be honest.
7: I'm not we're sure. Probably the
6: most iced band.
7: We're the most iced band. Yeah. We're sponsored by Smirnoff. We're on the ice. only
6: King Pizza band. On the
0: on hardest on working list, list this year, but there's a lot of
7: hardworking King Pizza bands. That's true. Are a lot of
6: hardworking.
0: Do you people. feel like that that poll is representative? It's a good. It's a real indication. Or do you, you know, think?
6: I was thinking about this yesterday, and because I felt like that might come up, um, talking about this. And here is my my stance. And you guys feel free to jump <laughs> in. Rev up for it. <laughs> I, I really was like preparing in the shower. Um, so I think that since there are so many bands and so many shows, that their criteria makes a ton of sense for their publication. Like, and they have at the top of the list every year, they're like, these are the shows that we listed. We can only get to so many. So this is like our hardest working. And I think that's t- 100% valid and really fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think there are so many smaller bands that are busting their asses. Kind of, sorry, butts all the
0: time. <laughs> it's it's a podcast. You can say asses. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Ass. Sweet.
6: Well, they're, just, they're busting it. Um, that don't get, they don't play the right, like the bigger venues. They don't get the write-ups on certain blogs, but they're playing just as many shows, if not more. So I think there are different like levels of hardest working depending on so how you like a, want to find so it. So there's
7: a shadow
0: hardest working. A secret
7: yeah. hardest working if you will. Yeah, I would say so. Probably yeah. like yeah, and like a lot of people like also the that list just does not include like DIY venues and things that like yeah. they're not. There could be someone playing like three hundred sixty five shows a year. Yeah. You wouldn't know about it.
8: We, we've played like a we played a good number of basement shows and like house shows last year, which like those aren't going to get on there because yeah. no one wants their address
7: on the internet. And also, if we're honest, we're not really hardworking. We don't that really is work untrue. hard.
8: <laughs> Speak for yourself. She not Mister Late to everything.
7: Um, I was kind of on time today.
0: I was on. I was unclear that house shows and DIY venues did not show up on that. I feel like that's a huge part of the scene ass- that yeah. they're yeah. I'm tracking. I'm assuming they don't.
8: They didn't.
7: No. Well, not for the most
6: part. Yeah.
7: Because it's only. Yeah. Much. It's got to be like through. I don't know.
6: Yeah, and, but like I said, like I think their criteria is super spot on, and I think there's a good and valid reason why these shows don't, like the basement shows don't end up listed, because you don't really need that being blasted out that big, because the show will fit 30 people and you're happy. Um, yeah, but it definitely is missing a section of the like DIY scene, for sure.
0: Well, I also think a lot of bands get their footing in those venues, too. I mean, even to get to somewhere like Alphaville or yep. something along those lines, you have to play a number of house shows to even know what it is to get on stage. Exactly. Totally. I want to read something you sent to me about you. The Rizzos. Their currency is laughter. Main export is good times. Their GDP is roughly that of a deserted island. Please tell me about your main export of good times.
6: (laughs) Justin?
7: Well, you see, we don't import a lot except for beer. But because we import so much beer, we're just naturally always producing good times, at least for ourselves. Um, I don't know how well-known we are in the international community yet for our expert of good times. But we like to think that, I mean, it's really the only thing we got. We're not producing anything else.
0: <laughs> to speak to our international Snacky Tunes community, what type of good times would you be bringing to
7: them across uh, the sea? Uh, well, hopefully they'll get a little bit of um, awkward dancing.
6: I was about to shout out our, our game.
7: What's our game? What's our your game, game? Oh.
6: is um, on the count of three, do the ugliest dance you can think of.
7: <laughs> oh yeah, and make the worst face possible. Mm-hmm. That's can, a good time. Can we get a worst face? Can't thing? One, two, three.
8: Oh, I did the uh, dance move too. Oh yeah. Was
7: so
8: weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that was. Zombie. For so the, the
7: listeners at home, how how ugly do you think that was? Uh, I'm gonna say Megan won. Uh, oh. oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks
0: very much. Yeah, good, good job, Megan. He <laughs> threw in the wiggle. For those who can't see, you threw in a wiggle. Can we get a song?
8: Yeah. Yeah. What are
0: you gonna play for us first?
8: Do you want to do Bless This Mess? Sure. Let's do it. Cool. This is a a new-ish one. Here
0: we go. You mentioned King Pizza Records earlier. King Pizza Records is
7: a gang.
6: <laughs> <laughs> it is a Whoa. gang. Eh, you're not Just wrong. Like
7: <laughs> Just like ICP. Just like ICP. We're officially recognized by the by the FBI. <laughs> <a gang>. Let's <laughs> the not tip them off, Justin.
0: <laughs> hey. For the uninitiated, what is King P- Pizza Records and who makes up the gang?
6: Bettina, you take this one. Oh, oh okay. are you fixing something? Well, I'm trying to find uh, <laughs> the the part of my. Uh, hi-hats I destroyed, but I'll do uh, it okay. on a second.
7: I'll, I'll take it. Um, okay. So King Pizza Records was started by our friend Greg Hansen. He plays Drums of the Mad Doctors, among some other bands. He started it kind of as kind of like, um, he, basically, he wanted to be able to, as a true fan of music in Brooklyn and elsewhere, he was very concerned that all these awesome bands that he knew weren't really getting distribution or any sort of like label support. And so he wanted to put his own resources to helping other people release their music um Digitally on tapes and on vinyl as well, and he also wanted to really like build and foster a community where in addition for him like putting out music, he also wanted to create like a community that would like self sustain and support itself and kind of be like an artist coalition of like you know if you're on the label, go see these awesome bands support them, hype their stuff, listen to their stuff, spread it around, and really you know do it together sort of yeah. mentality
8: and everyone's like very like-minded and like just really loves each other's music. And like, I think we've all made like our best friends out of this group of people, just like who love being at shows, who love making music, who love listening to music. And yeah, the community is a really huge part of it.
6: Yeah. It's been great. So it started, I want to say like 2013 with four bands, maybe. And now we have a roster of like 25 to 30 at any time. Um, mostly in Brooklyn. Um, also in like Philly. And I think
8: Boston, Omex
6: are from Ohio, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah it's been it's been really awesome. It's a ton of fun like everyone said it's like good good people hanging out making music and we try to be as inclusive and opening to people who like just want to come to shows as possible because there's definitely that fear of like what if I don't know anybody?
0: yeah so many people use the word community and then kind of fall short of it. What makes this community so unique
8: i I like. Every King Pizza show, like, even if you don't know anyone, like, you walk into the room and I think you're going to leave, like, you're going to leave knowing people. Everyone just, like, wants to talk, wants to get to know everyone. Like, if you walked in by yourself, someone would probably walk up to you and be like, hey, what's up? Like, what's going on? What brought you here?
7: Yeah, okay. like, if I can, like, share, like, a true experience of someone else. Um, I was talking to Romy from Power Snap, mm-hmm. shout out! She was talking about, like, she's a relative. I think she's only been in Brooklyn for about, like, a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said she, we're talking, she, like, came to a show and then like because like I invited her or something and then like she immediately got involved with like Seth and got involved with like working with people and like met a bunch of friends and yeah it's just like cool like we like we've made so many friends personally with like artists photographers Mm -hmm. um, musicians and people just come and I don't know I think it's just like a very welcoming group of people that just want to have friends and have fun and support each other and you know help people's dreams come true
8: everyone's like super into side projects too like we have one good friend rachel adler who's a visual artist and like she's like i'm gonna put together an exhibit at this show so then like Mm -hmm. that's a big show you'll have like an opening and then her art's hanging up for like a couple months yeah
7: she's doing like a like a like a i think a monthly thing at footlight now where she's just yeah you know photos she's like curating other people's art shows and like with like music as well it's really awesome
0: yeah you mentioned footlight but what are some of the other venues that
7: the shows take place at the gutter is a big one. Yeah,
6: we've been taking we've taken a hard hold of the gutter recently, <laughs> mostly because uh, Greg books there, yeah. and it's because it's wonderful and always <laughs> love sounds it good. So
7: much, and there's
0: bowling.
6: And there's bowling. Yeah. there's bowling.
0: Where do they set up the bands?
6: There's a back room if you walk through the bathrooms. Oh,
0: that's right. I have <laughs> to forget about that. Pass the crapper and you'll find the music. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you'll find the crapper. No, I'm just
0: kidding. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I saw white. I saw white lung there. Oh, cool. Forever oh, ago. Yeah. That's, that's right. Awesome. I always wanted them to set up on half of the lanes. Dude, yeah, that would be amazing. That is my dream. That's the dream, right? The
8: opening scene of Josie and the Pussycats. They're playing on the bowling. They to have the Asbury lanes in yeah.
6: Asbury Park. I think that place has been closed for a while at this point. I was talking to someone so. yesterday. They're reopening soon. Yes. Woo goals we want to play them Uh, but i do know the gutter had uh they did cover bands on halloween they had some in the front room which really shakes it up that's awesome
0: it's really interesting for this because it sounds like how when i went to basement shows growing up it's Mm -hmm. the same thing where like you didn't know anybody you meet you would meet people it's really awesome to hear in 2017 2018 where people feel so isolated yeah, that yeah. there's a community like this that still exists and you can find, you can be a weirdo and go to a show and make friends, which is really what I always felt music and art did for people.
6: I agree. And I think that. Greg has really, I interrupted you, I apologize. Um, but he's collected all the weirdos. Like He's collected a lot of weirdos that he knows. <laughs> there's, there's, and more. Been like, there's more. There. Not there, that's true. Please, if you want to no, come no, see Garage weirdos. Rock and King Pizza, most, and be weird with us. King Pizza. <laughs> most
0: of the weirdos. Yeah.
6: I would call that an unofficial subtitle. The Jesus my liar, Weirdos. Whatever you want to call
0: it. <laughs> can you hear another song?
6: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, I hope you guys don't mind. My uh, hi hat is now a crash symbol. Sweet.
8: Uh, let's Get do Breslin because that's what I'm
4: tuned for. Perfect.
6: I'm down chair
0: February 9th
6: oh yeah Ooh, oh yeah February 9th. you oh, know yeah. where this is going I'm excited to talk about it let's talk about <laughs> it
0: fourth annual valentine's day party oh, valentine's yeah.
6: day prom, prom. In fact.
0: Prom. Yes. well prom is a party that's true yeah, okay you're right you're not, totally correct not all p- not all parties are proms but all proms are parties
6: correct yes Probably. and now I'm feeling <laughs> sad that not all parties are prom <laughs> oh yeah true okay
0: fine <laughs> Fourth annual. Fourth annual. Let's talk about it. Yes. All G- right. Give us an origin story.
6: All right. So they're tuning. So I'm going to take this opportunity <laughs> to talk about my favorite thing of the year, which is prom. Um, we have we kind, we have a song called prom song, kind of a promy vibe. So four years ago, we were like, let's throw a Valentine's Day prom at Don Pedro, which is where we we're playing a lot of shows and spending R. a lot R. of times. So it, it was. Oh. We played there like I swear once a week for two years. <laughs> Something like that. It was a casual did, exaggeration. Did, did that get counted?
7: Did Tom uh,
6: <laughs> Some shows,
7: Incon- not, inconsistent. Yeah. yeah, depending on the show. We were we were we were a little baby band, so
6: yeah, we played. Anytime someone was like, "We need a band," Rizzles will say yes. We we're like, "You're right." Um, so we had the first prom there, just kind of like we'll throw a show. We'll see how it goes. Uh, photo booth Prom king and queen And dress it was up. Yeah Dress up formal And it was a blast Like it was so much fun Was
0: it proper formal Or was it like themed formal
6: Theme formal I would say
0: Okay yeah. yeah. I mean you could yeah. show up casual
7: We're not like strict about yeah.
6: it Yeah there are no rules Yeah there's no rules yeah. Parents no rules Yeah
7: um, And no chaperones We did it with uh, With our greatest homies uh, Sirs and madams mm-hmm. um, They were our prom dates For their first year Our second year And our third year mm-hmm. um, And they're not joining us This year Because they recently split up they were tired they retired um of us (laughs) (laughs) sick of us um so yeah we did the first one at don pedro Mm -hmm. where was the The last two were the the last two were both at the gutter okay and this one is going to be at the gutter as well because we love the gutter
6: we do and it has that disco ball and the fun twinkle lights it just feels very promtastic
7: is there Mm -hmm. prom dancing and bowling and everything
6: we have yet to incorporate the bowling officially, but yeah. I do think we can, t- can consider that after prom,
7: yeah. oh, like of post course. prom party. That's always on the dock. Is
6: take your limo. Yeah, Just And is it?
0: <laughs> tell us about the lineup. It's a mix of live music and DJs.
6: Uh, we yeah, so we're still starting out the, the details for a DJ, but it, it's I believe it's a member of World's Greatest Detective will be DJing. Um, He's
8: going to be in between sets. Yeah.
6: And then, sorry guys, I'm talking so much, so if you want to jump in, please feel free.
8: <laughs> um, we have Ghost Funk Orchestras joining us, which I'm super stoked about. Um, the Royal They and Plaid Dracula. Yeah, and then us. <laughs> well,
0: and if, reverse order. And if uh, you've never been, what can you expect?
7: Um, Expect the unexpected. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going to be one, a lot of great music, if I do say so myself. We did mm-hmm. a really good job picking awesome bands to play. I agree. Um, there's going to be, yeah, um, we haven't hammered out all the details, but there's going to be definitely some fancy clothing and some dancing. There's going to be a prom king and queen, which we will vote on throughout the night it's by going. ballot. Yes. There it might be some campaigning. Some <laughs> there might be. Does tend to be. has the campaigning unofficially started or does it start the night of I, probably, I bet it's going to start as soon as people hear this podcast. It's going <laughs> to,
6: <laughs> it yeah. should start the night of for Fairness.
7: Yeah. yeah, but technically there shouldn't be any campaigning near the polling place, but
6: <laughs> <laughs> it's within 20, feet. 20 it's a, feet. It's a pretty small
8: space. Yeah. So we're gonna have to. Yeah, I'm looking for a good fight. But and we also have a host, which is coach Dave. He's mm-hmm. everyone's favorite gym teacher. And chaperone. And he's the only chaperone. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's always running around throughout the night, and he does intros for the bands and maybe some activities.
7: Yeah, the, oh, yeah. We, d- we had a scooter race scooter last year, race. which my team won. We won the <laughs> relay. Yep. Very impressive. very fun. I'm proud of you. Have there been any
0: romance stories from past proms?
6: None that we can tell here. We can't
7: say. Here. Okay. <laughs> but yes, there definitely have. Okay. Over
0: beers and pizza afterwards. Yes. That's fair. Absolutely. I want to make sure we talk about what's coming up the rest of the year. You're going on a mini tour.
8: Yeah, we're working on it. um, Probably about four or five days at the end of April. Mm -hmm. We're going to do that. Um, And then we're hoping to do a little bit longer of one, but we're still hammering out those details also.
0: And you have a release coming out too.
7: Yes. We are releasing a split seven inch with our pals top notches from New Pulse. They're Mm -hmm. amazing. We are happy to welcome welcome them onto the label. And then once we do that, we're probably going to do like a summer tour or something with them.
0: Amazing. And this all might be timed with Pizza Fest 5.
6: That's the goal. The goal yeah. is to have the 7-inch at Pizza Fest 5, which is going to be in May. Um, that depends on, you know, pressing vinyl casual. Um, I'm very excited we're going to be on vinyl. Um, but Pizza Fest 5 should be fantastic, and hopefully our, yeah, hopefully our release is then.
7: Yeah, the biggest pizza part of the year, that's like, that's peak King Pizza Records right there.
6: Yeah, three yep. days, lots of bands, lots of actual pizza.
7: Yeah, who are the, vent?
0: are there actual vendors? Is it bring your own slice? What's the deal?
6: We usually have vendors, and we sell pizza. So we will provide the pizza um, last year we worked with Sizzle Pie. Delicious. We worked with Vinnie's in the past, so that's Delicious. all still being hammered out. Um, but it will be tasty, yeah.
7: cool, and possibly vegan. I love Sizzle Pie. It vegan.
6: can possibly be vegan for
7: you. So excited!
8: Justin is now vegan,
0: so mm. vegan Sorry. vegan pizza has <laughs> come. A long way. Yeah. the I first agree. The first slice I had was maybe 14 years ago in Eugene, Oregon, and it was uh, garbage.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it, it
0: actually undid the the statement that any pizza is good pizza. As this is terrible. Oh no. but oh it's no. really come a long way. Did they
6: do the thing where they tried to put fake cheese on yeah, it instead of Yeah, that was yeah, the problem. The, I know that was a problem.
0: You can yeah. do it. Sometimes now. It's better now, but this was like the cashew cheese type yeah. thing. You're like, just give me a tomato pie. Yeah. yeah. Give me yeah. a gluten-free tomato pie. We're cool.
6: Yeah. See, fate cheese has come a long way, but I can imagine back then it was like just <laughs> really unfortunate.
0: Pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question. Oh, Oregon Trail Joke. Oh, That's yeah. Right oh, yeah. There it is. Died a dish <laughs> Got a pizza. If the Rizzo's were any type of food or dish, what would you be?
8: We did discuss this a little bit, and we think that we might be our classic tour sandwich. Yeah, we're a sandwich. We were a sandwich. Um, Bettina loves sandwiches. I feel very strongly about them, it's true.
7: And we feel so strongly we have an ongoing uh, roundtable discussion with our pals, Heavy Flow from New Jersey, about is what is a sandwich is and not? the nonsense that can be called a sandwich nowadays.
6: Yes. Hot dog, we, we not have, sandwich. I'm
7: very angry about it. <laughs> is, is there any
0: particular type of sandwich? Hot dogs are not sandwiches. No, just a I oh, no, sandwich. I, meant, I, meant, I, <laughs> I said I was angry. I, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Rizzo sandwich. <laughs> when
8: we were on the road, we stopped at Target and we got a cooler and we just like got a bunch of ingredients to make sandwiches. So it's like a Martin's potato roll. Wow, so good. <laughs> um, some vegan for the yeah. vegans. Um, avocado, tomato, and cheese, if you can eat cheese.
7: Did we put spinach on the last? We oh, did we put spinach, spinach on it. Yeah. yeah. Really good. my time. thought process.
8: Next time we ahead. should add
6: some mustard, maybe. Oh, can't fancy. Ooh. My thought process is like it's quick, easy, satisfying, and you can have it in the back of a car. You the can Rizzos. make it in the back.
0: Really. Of the car. Hey. Hey.
6: <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> where can people find you? Find your music. Find your tour dates. Learn about King Pizza Records.
8: They can find our music at the Rizzos We're also on Spotify and Apple Music and all that jazz.
7: We got a Facebook page. Where that's where. I'm, basically all of our updates go events tour announcements we have like a Twitter and an Instagram but we're not so good at it
6: yeah we're not the you're, best <laughs> we only no. use
7: Twitter when we're on tour yeah we're like and trying we're to embarrass Betty on other. the internet
6: <laughs> it's real uh, and King Pizza's best on Facebook for sure
7: yeah. great
0: well thanks for coming by thanks, thanks for thanks. having us thanks yeah, yeah. It's been great. what's the uh, name of the last song you're gonna play for us
8: it's way out
0: way out well thanks for tuning in for another episode of Snacky Tunes we will be back next week We'll see you then take us out.